Ephesians chapter 1. We will actually be finishing our current series today. So we'll be finishing up identity issues, God's glory in us through Christ's work for us. And we've been doing just a verse at a time uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, but we're going to cover two verses today. We're going to get through it, and then we're going to get to some Christmas-type stuff for the next couple Sundays. So we're going to finish this up, identity issues. The title of today's message is Sealed with God's Spirit as God's Own for God's Glory. Sealed with God's spirit is God's own for God's glory. Now, we're going to start reading in verse 3, as has been our habit. And for the first time now, we'll read all the way through to verse 14. Remember that in the original Greek, verses 3 through 14 are one long sentence. Our English translations, thankfully, have broken them into several sentences. But when Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, originally penned this one long, wordy, long-winded sentence to the glory of God, that's awesome. Uh, So we're going to read that, and then we'll pray and get into it. Verses, starting verse 3. It says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. And even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. And God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ. A plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and everything on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. Now our verses for today, verses 13 and 14. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth. The good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own. By giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee. That he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your wonderful word. We believe it to be your inerrant, infallible, authoritative, life-giving, living, world-changing word. And we ask that it would be that for us today, that it would change our worlds, that it would change our lives. This wonderful good news 
about what you, God, in your love and in your sovereignty and in your justice and your mercy have done for us in Christ. We ask that these truths wouldn't be lost on us, that you'd give us wisdom and understanding now, that you'd open our spiritual eyes, you'd open our minds and our hearts to hear and to comprehend the height, width, depth, and breadth of the love of God. And that we would be transformed to people who are less concerned with self and more concerned with your glory. That we would begin to live not for the praise of people, but for your praise. Not for our own fame, but for your fame. Not for our own glory, but for yours, Lord. That we would truly, evidentially, in the world be seen as God's own possession. Who live for God's glory. You've got to work that in us, Holy Spirit. It's impossible. It's foolish without you working it in us. So we say together, Holy Spirit, come. Anoint me to teach and preach and work in conjunction with the Holy Word to change our lives. To the glory of Jesus Christ and in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, concerning these things, we realize this, that God has not only given us his word, but God has also given us his spirit. God has given us his word and he has given us his spirit for these things that we're reading about. His word and the experience of his spirit. Here's why that's important. Because our lives are shaped by words and experiences, aren't they? All of our lives are shaped by words and experiences. Sometimes words and experiences with other people hijack the purposes of God's word and the experience of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I mean by that. It's hard for us as fallen people to not think of ourselves in terms of what other people say to us or about us. It's hard for us not to think of our lives in terms of what other people have done to us or failed to do for us. And so we find that these words and experiences of other people toward us greatly influence our self-understanding. What someone has said about us, what they've done to us, what they failed to do for us. These begin to form our understanding. Words and experiences shape us. They shape our identity. They shape the way that we think and the way that we feel and so the way that we act. And so ultimately the way that we live. How we live and what we live for. The problem with this is that we as people are generally self-absorbed. Anybody care to argue? (laughs) We as people are are generally self-absorbed. If you don't see that, you're the most self-absorbed person in the room. Because we are self-absorbed, Scripture continually confronts us with God, who is higher than us, greater than us, better than us, who created us, upon whom we are dependent, contingent, subordinate creatures. Because of our self-absorption, Scripture confronts us with God and says that we ought to live for God's glory and not our own. And because of our self-absorption and our desire to be pleased with ourselves, we think ourselves better than we are. So scripture confronts us with law, with truth, 
that always and only shows us to be wicked. Scripture shows us that we are more wicked than we ever dared to imagine. If we look at Scripture honestly, we're not that good and we're not that important. Ha! Don't you feel good? It's true. And if our self-absorption that wants to be glorified and wants to esteem self is better than it really is, if our self-absorption absorption, excuse me, is not repented of, then we begin to seek after and live for the praise of people. We begin to seek after, live for, pander to, to the, to the praise of people. Because their words are powerful to us. So powerful that when we are affirmed, we feel good. And for some of us, when we are frequently affirmed, we become blindly arrogant. We believe our own press is the popular phrase. People's words are powerful in our lives. When they say good things, we feel good. When they say a lot of good things, we think we're awesome. But we all discover that the problem with the opinions of people is that they are fleeting. Subject to change finicky, dependent upon moods, comparison of others, and dependent upon our performance. And so what happens when we don't repent of our self-absorption, our desire to be glorified and think better of ourselves than we really are, and we go seeking the approval of people, and we find that it's fleeting, what happens is that we begin to live in insecurity. Insecurity, because there's, there, there's always someone better, it seems. There's always someone that does better than you at your job, better than you at your talent. There's always someone that's better looking or has better things. So if we're just looking for praise and to be built up by other people, we live in this insecurity. Someone's going to come along at some time that garners more praise than us. And so now how do we think? How do, how do we feel? How do we imagine ourselves? And worse so, when the words directed at us and the experiences that we have with other people are those of disapproval. When their words and actions toward us are those of disapproval, then, then we live in pain. Not just insecurity, there's nothing to be insecure about. They don't approve of you anymore. You can be secure in that. It's not an issue of security anymore. It's, it's an issue of pain now with their words of disapproval. And, and these words and these actions are the strongest. They seem to be stronger than praise. They seem to hold more weight in our hearts and our minds and our spirits than words of affirmation and praise do. It's hard for us not to think of ourselves in terms of what people say to us and about us in disapproval. They're so much stronger than the words of praise that if we're disapproved of frequently enough, it becomes difficult for us to believe any words of affirmation. To believe when something is rightly said to us that is good. My mom used to warn me of this when I was a, a young boy and would tease my little sister. I was the older brother, so the joy of my life was tormenting my little sister. And I would constantly tell her how ugly and stupid she was. And she, she was neither of those things. She was and she is beautiful and brilliant. My sister really is. But as the older brother, I figured I was obligated to call her stupid and ugly. 
And so I did so all the time. And my mom would always say to me, son, if you say something to someone enough, they will believe it. If you always tell your little sister that she's stupid and ugly, she, she, she's going to believe that. I never believed that until I started to play guitar. And I can remember as a, as a young, as, as a boy, remember as a boy, the, the first time that I, I learned a song on guitar, it was Hotel California by the Eagles. And I played it for some people. Look, look, I learned a song, I learned a song. And I went and played it. And one of the people in the audience said, that doesn't sound like Hotel California. <laughs> and I don't know, to my shame, to this day, whenever I play guitar, I immediately say to myself, it doesn't sound right. It just seems that, that words of disapproval are so powerful. So that perhaps when my, when my little sister sees someone who's smart, she says, well, I'll never be like that. Someone who's beautiful, she says, I'll never be like that. My, my older brother taught me that I'm, I'm, I'm ugly and I'm stupid. Because I know that when I hear someone who's good at guitar, I say, I'll never be able to play like them. It'll, it'll never sound right. So we find ourselves living in insecurity and doubt because of these experiencing words of disapproval. And so it seems then in our little conversation here that we've discovered that both praise and disapproval from people bring us into a place of insecurity. Praise because there's eventually going to be someone better. And disapproval because I feel like we'll never get out of that. We, we believe those negative words. And so I've found that I can only find security and satisfaction in what God in Christ says about me and what God in Christ has done for me. Firstly, that I'm exceedingly wicked, idolatrously self-absorbed. But secondly, that I'm radically loved, insanely loved, by the only true God of the universe. And what, what this does is it heals me of my need of, for approval. It heals me of the, those insecurities and those doubts. Because what God says and does for us is always better and truer than anything people say about us or do to us. What God says about us and has done for us in Christ is better and truer than what people have said about us or done to us. And so God wanting us to be convinced of this has, ha has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wants us to be convinced of his love in Christ. And, and so he's given us the Holy Spirit. That we might be sure of the sort of things that we read in Ephesians chapter 1. That we're blessed with every spiritual blessing because we're in Christ. That even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be without fault in his eyes. 
That God predestined us for adoption and brought us to himself through Christ. That he has graced us with grace and that we now belong to Jesus. That our sins have been forgiven. That we have been redeemed and set free having been purchased with the blood of Christ. That he has in his showering and always will shower his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding, and that we have an inheritance in Christ from God reserved for us in heaven. Now, all of these things we we believe and we receive by faith. The word of God says them, so, so we believe them, and we receive them by faith. But every day we struggle with faith and belief. Do we not? Even the disciples who were with Christ in a very real and tangible way said, Lord, we believe, but would you help our unbelief? We believe and receive these things by faith, but but every day we struggle with faith and belief. And we struggle with the experience of these things. We don't always feel them to be true. They don't always flush out in our lives the way that we think they ought to. We, We hear them on Sunday. Don't always see them happening on Monday because we are bombarded with all sorts of other and contrary experiences. So God in his kindness and his wisdom has given us the gift of the person of the Holy Spirit to help us, to convince or convict us, to assure us of these things that God has done for us in Christ. This is what our verses for today are saying. In verse 13, it says, And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. Now, when it comes to our faith and our reading of the word of God, more than just the intellect is involved. We read it. And we comprehend it. We've spent weeks upon weeks studying it, but more than just the intellect is involved. We can do more than just read. You see, the Holy Spirit works to give us assurance at the subjective level. Isn't that a dangerous word? The subjective level of spiritual and emotional perception. We can know these things in our innermost being to be true. can feel these things and sanctified emotions that God has given us to be true. You see, God has revealed himself to us in a few ways. Apart from general revelation, which saves no one but is important, God reveals himself in these three ways. Number one, the revelation of history, climaxing at the cross and the resurrection of Christ. Number two, the revelation of Scripture, centering on the person and the work of Christ. And number three, the revelation of God by the Spirit, centering on the person and the glory of Jesus Christ. He's revealed himself in nature. He's revealed himself in history. He's revealed himself in his inerrant, infallible, authoritative word. And he reveals himself by the Holy Spirit. All of it centering on the person of Christ. 
And the Holy Spirit convinces us of in our mind and ministers to us in our hearts and our spirits of the truth of Scripture, the work of Christ, and the love and the plan of God. He works deep down in our soul the truth that our core identity is we are the beloved of God. Above and beyond all the other voices that say all sorts of things about us. The Holy Spirit is working to convince us of the biblical, Christ-oriented truth that we are the beloved, adopted children of God who we love before the foundation of the world. So it says, if you want to praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So again, that second part of verse 13 He identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The more formal way to say this in other translations is you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit. It's a good theological way to talk about it. You you were sealed in him, in Christ, with the Holy Spirit. This, This is what happens when we get saved. Okay, when we believe, right? It says there in that verse, when you believed. Through faith and repentance, when we put all of our hope in Christ, what happens is we are sealed in Christ with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? What is a metaphor getting at here? Well, in that culture, and even in our own culture, there are three purposes for which a seal was used. And each of these illustrates the Spirit's work. First, to confirm an object as being true or genuine. That was a seal. Secondly, to make something safe and secure. And thirdly, to mark a thing as one's own property. We'll look at each briefly. First, a seal here, okay, metaphor for the Spirit, is used to confirm an object as being true or genuine. You might think about it like the U.S. seal that's on a dollar, right? That's how we know it's true because it has this elaborate, very very carefully uh, designed and constructed seal. Or on a passport, right? U.S. passport is going to have this U.S. seal. So, so it proves those items to be true or genuine. The Holy Spirit confirms, proves us to truly and genuinely be God's people. Sealed with the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 is getting into this when it says, For his spirit, God's spirit, joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. God's spirit communicates to our spirit affirming that we are God's children, showing it to be true and genuine, working supernaturally in us. He not only witnesses to the fact that we're God's children, but that God is in us and that we are in him, as scripture says, that that we are his and he is ours. As we talked about a couple weeks ago, 1 John 3.24 says, and we know that he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. There's this true experience of the Christian that God's spirit is in us, confirming that we are God's and that we are in him. 1 John 4, 13. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. We are truly and genuinely his, sealed in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit daily convincing us of the truth of Scripture. 
Secondly, a seal is used to make something safe and secure. To seal something up is, is the verb form, right, of the, of the word. To seal something up. So we might think of a, a letter that is sealed or has a seal on it. Or like the Sanhedrin, the ruling Jewish body, when, when, when they sent the soldiers to seal the tomb of Christ. Make something safe and secure. This connects us with the next verse, verse 14, which says about the Spirit, the Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. The Spirit is God's guarantee. Okay, making something safe and secure. What are we saying when we say to someone, I guarantee it. We're trying to make them feel safe and secure. I guarantee I'll be there. The Holy Spirit is God's guarantee, making us safe and secure that what God has said about our relationship with him because of the work of Christ on the cross is safe and secure. That word guarantee, arabone in the Greek. It's, it's used frequently in Greek culture even now. It comes into modern Greek and it's used to speak of an engagement ring. An engagement ring. Anyone in here engaged? Oh, a bunch of people. Look at that. Raise your hand. Give them some love. An engagement thing is a beautiful thing. When I do weddings, maybe I'll do your wedding. When I do your wedding, or when I do anyone's wedding, after we do the vows, I'll say, I'll say this often. I'll say, how do you seal these vows you've taken? How do you seal these vows? There's some seal. There's something that's going to speak of safety and security about the promises that were made. How do you seal these vows? And generally, I'll, I'll prompt the couple to say, with rings. And then the best man will hopefully have the rings and he pulls them out and he gives them to me. And then there's this exchanging of rings. And and at the end, I'll often say to them, as often as you see these rings upon one another's fingers, remember the vows you've made to one another and before God. The ring on the fingers is this guarantee of the promises that have been made. But there's another way that it was used predominantly in ancient Greek culture. And that was not of an engagement ring, excuse me, but that was a down payment for an item that was being purchased. A pledge, down payment, earnest money, it's sometimes called, even in culture today. It's a payment, a part of the purchase price that secures legal claim. Right? So if you're going to go buy a car or a house or something, you, you put a down payment on that thing so it secures claim. No one else could come along and snatch it. There's this down payment. Satan can't come and change it or take it. Jesus said, I hold you in my hand, and the Father also has you in his hand. And here's the guarantee, the Holy Spirit. This is down payment. Makes it safe and secure. It's earnest money. The Holy Spirit is not the full amount of the great transaction of our salvation. But it proves that it is underway and that God means business. That God will be faithful to complete the work he has begun in us. So it says in Jude 24, now all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. It says God is going to do it. God is going to get you there, man. In the ups and the downs of life. 
through all the heartache and through all the wonderful things, through all the distractions and the failure, failures, through everything, God is going to accomplish what he set forth to do in you because of Christ for his own glory. The Holy Spirit is proof of that. Now, an engagement ring is a promise, but it's not part of the marriage. It's not a real part of it. But but the down payment is actually part of the full package. And so when we say that the Holy Spirit is a guarantee or a down payment on the full package of salvation and the glory that awaits us, it means that the Holy Spirit is a foretaste. This is why we pay attention to the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit is a foretaste of the glory of God. The third person of the Trinity, living in us, whereby God reveals the glory that awaits us through the life of the Spirit in us. He's not only the proof of our position in Christ, he's the pledge of our possessions in Christ. He not only guarantees our eternal security, he also guarantees our eternal satisfaction. That we will stand before God with great joy. And by the Spirit, we experience God's life and truth in us. And since the agreement of our salvation is sealed by God, and since the full weight of it and the work of it is accomplished by God, then listen to me, then no failure on our part, all of them, having been anticipated long, long ago, can invalidate what has been done for us by Christ. Because God accomplished it in his own son and God has sealed it by his only spirit. No failure on our part, which he anticipated long ago, can invalidate what God has done. It is safe and secure, sealed in the Holy Spirit, our text says. And finally, number three, A seal is something used to mark a thing as one's own property. We can think of it in a lot of ways. A royal insignia that's on something or like a brand that's on a horse or a cow or something like that, right? Something that marks an item as one's own. Again, Ephesians 1.14, the Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he has promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. Sealed in the Spirit. Guaranteed to be God's own. Somehow marked by the Spirit as God's own. The fact that we are God's means that he's jealous for us. And so he wars with competing affections and competing claims, both within and without. Because he's jealous for us. He he bought us with the precious blood of his son. We are his blood-bought bride. Sealed with, marked by his Holy Spirit. So he's jealous for us. Second Corinthians one twenty two says, And he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts. As a first installment that guarantees everything he has promised. I mean, when I got something that's really important to me, I, I mark it. Right? Like I have some, I'm a pastor, so I have a lot of books and I study and stuff. I stamp them on the inside with a little purple stamp that says, this book belongs to Britt Merrick. Because all my friends like to borrow my books and they very seldom return them. But someday later, I will go to their libraries 
And I will open it up and I'll see my stamp, my steel, my seal. And I'll say, you stole my book. (laughs) I'll have every right at that moment to take it back. God is so serious about his ownership of you that you belong to him, that he has put his Holy Spirit in your heart. What what, 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 what more is he going to do? What do you want him like tattoo it on your Fuente or something? Like on your forehead? What what more is he going to do? He can't do anymore. He put his Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit in your heart. God's like, he's mine. She's mine. Can't touch this. What are you going to do? My spirit. And so God in his kindness then by his Holy Spirit begins to deal with our fears and our doubts and our anxieties, which are exacerbated by the opinions and the actions of people and our own foolishness. The Holy Spirit assures us of God's acceptance of us and love for us through Christ. He is evidence that our salvation and our blessings and our inheritance are secure in Christ. He is proof that we belong to and are the special possession of God in Christ. Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 5 says, Therefore, since we have been made right with God in God's sight by faith, We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege of standing in grace, where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Spirit in us tells us it's going to happen. So much so that verse 3 says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us to develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. God in his kindness has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So even when everything goes wrong, when our lives don't make sense, when our finances fall apart, when our children are sick, when our own health is frail, when we're rejected and passed over, when the difficulties of life come, God has put his Holy Spirit in us. And the Holy Spirit is in there pouring the love of the Father in our heart. He's in there pouring the love of the Father. We're sitting there and our own children have cancer and we're holding them in our arms. And the Holy Spirit is saying, your Father loves you. I say, but this this doesn't make sense. What's going on? But your Father loves you. But their words have hurt me so much. But your Father loves you. But I don't know how we're going to make it. Your father loves you. I, I, can't, I can't see to the other side. The Holy Spirit says, I am the guarantee that he's going to get you there. God has gone to great and kind lengths to make us secure in his love and our standing in grace before him. 
The Spirit is constantly pouring the love of the Father into our hearts and convincing our minds of the work of Christ for us. For one singular reason. The last part of this big giant sentence says, He did this so we would praise and glorify Him. He didn't just do it so you could feel secure, that you could get over rejection, that you won't feel guilty anymore. That's part of it. But the great purpose of it is that we would praise and glorify him. This is why we are saved. So that we can praise and glorify him. This sentence, verses 3 through 14, again, one sentence in the Greek, begins and ends with praise to God. Verse 3, all praise to God. And then at the end, he did this so we would praise and glorify him. And then the whole thing, this whole study that we've been doing, tells us that everything we have in Christ comes from God by grace and returns to God in glory. Everything about our life comes from God in grace and is to return to God in glory. See, we, we don't just worship. We also witness, testify, give glory to God. We don't just praise. We also work to bring others into a place of praise, submitting to the person of Jesus Christ. We don't just give glory. We live for God's glory. God chose us to be his which includes our being his instruments to tell the world about his good news so that all the world would come together in praise of his name. Because the Holy Spirit, Jesus said very simply, was sent to bring glory to Jesus. He said in John 16, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will glorify me. And the Holy Spirit chooses us to do through you, not independent of you. So you, we become instruments of God's glory in the world. Instruments of God's glory in Santa Barbara, Carpinteria, Ventura, and the uttermost parts of the earth. We are meant to be, as God's own possession, his instruments that live to bring him glory. And when we get that, we begin to see that nothing in our lives is without beautiful purpose. It's all said very simply by Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. There it is. Well, I don't know what to do. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. It doesn't mean do something stupid and say, glory to God. It means God has given you wisdom and insight and his spirit lives in you that you might discern and act according to that which will glorify God. Philippians says, God is in you, working that you would desire and do what he desires. And so we ask ourselves in the instances of life, how how can I bring glory to God? My marriage is struggling and failing. I don't like my wife anymore. What glorifies God in this? How do I act in this in a way that's going to glorify God? My, my kids are, are, are rebelling and walking away. Well, how can I bring glory to God in this? These are the difficult things of life whereby we need the wisdom God gives us by his spirit. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask and God's going to give, James 1. My job just feels like a dead end. I just feel like I'm just spinning my wheels every single day. God, how do I bring you glory in this job? 
We, we have to be asking these questions because we live for his glory. Because scripture says, whatever you do, do it for his glory. And you've been saved, not just so you can just plod along. Not so you can just go through the motions. Not that you just won't feel guilty anymore or won't feel rejected anymore or feel better about yourself or sin a little less or when you finally die, have a place to go. But so that right now in all that you do, by the grace of God and his spirit in you, you can bring him glory. And what that, clashes, what that does, excuse me, is clashes with our intense self-centeredness. Because every day we wake up and we're obsessed with our own will and our own glory. And our self-centered pursuit of our own glory has always been driven by the words and the action and the approval of others. And those things are lesser. They are counterfeits. They're ungodly and they're demonic. And they torment the human soul. But the people of God who've been united with Christ through faith and repentance have been turned inside out. Everything has changed for us. We're God's own possession that we might live for God's glory. So life is never without purpose. So that even when things are less than desirable, we can begin to think about praising God and living for God's glory. Paul didn't write this from some comfortable place of victory. Paul wrote this from a prison. You got to hear that when Paul wrote this, when Paul wrote, all praise to God. In verse three, he wrote this from prison. He'd been rejected by society. So that when our circumstances are less then, we can praise and glorify God in the same way. We live for God's praise and glory and we no longer live for the praise of other people or the glory of ourselves. That's a wonderful truth. So we know how to live in every circumstance. What do I do in this circumstance? God's glory. It's not always easy to figure out how do I glorify God in this, is it? But it simplifies things for us a little bit. That's what we do. What do I do in this circumstance? How do you do it for God's glory? What do I do in this instance? How do you do it in a way that gives God praise? How do you praise God in every instance? Because who we are in Christ is better than who we are not in this life. Because what we have in Christ is better than what we don't have in this life. Because what has been done for us by Christ is better than what has been done to us by others. Because the accomplishment of our salvation by God is bigger than all of our failures put together. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Thank you, Lord. Glory to you, God. Praise your holy and righteous name. Reveal these things to us, Lord, by your spirit. Convince us of these things. In our minds, yes, but in our hearts, our spirits, the emotional level, convince us of the glory of God in us because of what Christ has done for us. Teach us, Lord, by your spirit to 
praise you in every instance and to glorify you in every circumstance. Lord, how we need help with that. How far we fall. And yet your spirit's in us. So Holy Spirit, do what you were sent to do. Bring glory to Jesus in our lives. And Holy Spirit, in this time of worship now, and prayer, and repentance, as we take communion and celebrate Christ, would you manifest the presence of God? Holy Spirit, manifest the presence of God in the house of God. In Jesus' name, amen.